Today our scripture comes from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today I want to set up our uh, sermon series in the Psalms uh, by reading you a quote that, in, that encapsulates uh, what I have discovered about the Psalms. Uh, and I want to read it to you, and I want us to kind of to, to walk through it a bit, and then we're going to dig into Psalm 23 today. Uh, so Math, uh, Matthew uh, Jacoby says this, The wonderful thing about the Psalms is that they show us how to begin where we are. We are not expected to begin with some heightened state of spiritual ecstasy. We can and must begin where we are. What we need is not a heavenly spirituality, but an earthly spirituality that, in, that captures the present tension between what we have already and what remains unfulfilled. This is precisely what we have in the Psalms. So what's that mean for us? The Psalms are ridiculously honest. I remember uh, when I was a little bit younger and had it all together, you know how you do when you're a little younger? You got it all together. Uh, I didn't really have a place for the Psalms in my heart. Because I would read it and I would say, David, come on, man. What do you, God hasn't forsaken you? Are you kidding me? Like, come on, David, what do you mean you want to kill these guys? You know that's not in the Bible. You don't want to do that, David. And, and I didn't really understand how theology works itself out in real life. And I'm just getting to the tip of the iceberg now. But that's the way life works, doesn't it? It works itself out in real time in us. It's not that we just download it to our brains and we can all of a sudden walk it out faithfully. There's lots of twists and turns. I, I once heard a guy that said, uh, he said, what we think sanctification is is that we start here and we end here and it's this, this straight line. But what sanctification really looks like is kind of like this. It's like all over the map. We're going backwards and forwards and up and down all over the place. And the beautiful thing as we transition to Psalm 23, the beautiful thing about this for us is this. God is with us through it all. He is, he, is, he is with us far more than we know. And He wants to meet with us in this. So the Psalms for us invite a growth in self-awareness. They invite us to grow in discovering who we actually are. Because we realize that we can be far more honest with God than we have been. And we can let him shed light on dark places of our hearts and our souls because he can take it and he's the only one that can bring us through it. Andre Mauro says this, man is not what he thinks he is, he is what he hides. Man is not what he thinks he is, he is what he hides. What we see in the Psalms is that pe people, the writers of these Psalms that are talking to God are refusing to hide. Because I really believe that quote. I think we are what we hide. A lot of times we think that we are what we don't hide. That just what we expose uh, others to about ourselves is, the, is what we present. But there's a lot underneath the surface. And what we see in the Psalms is that we have permission to be where we are. And that 
Not only that, not only do we have permission, there's an invitation to be where we are because there's no other place to be in Jesus than right where you are right now. So the big idea of where we're going today is this. It's kind of a play on words. Jesus helps those who can't help themselves. Jesus helps those who can't help themselves. So my question to you is this. What are you hiding this morning? What are you stuffing down, hoping that will disappear? Where could you be more honest with God? Where could you let Him into more of who you are so that you could experience more of who He is? The context of Psalm 23 that we've read, is prob- and Psalm 23 itself, is probably the most familiar passage in the entire Bible. So just like I said last week, as we looked at John 15, and we talked about abiding, anytime we're, we're in familiar territory in the Bible, we have to be on our guard. Because you and I both know that we're going to be tempted to tune out. And we're going to miss what the Holy Spirit has for us this morning. So, so, so make sure you don't do that. As we look through Psalm 23, um, part of what we're going to look at as well is, is really an application for us. As we, We're going to walk through it verse by verse. And, and the application side of things is going to look like this. This guy named David Pallison uh, wrote this thing that, that's called the anti-psalm. And basically, uh, the anti-psalm is, 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 is when we don't believe what Psalm 23 says to be true in us, this is what we're actually believing. So what you're going to see, the structure of the sermon is going to look like, we're going to look at Psalm 23, then we're going to look at the anti-psalm, we're going to talk about it. Because what we're asking God to do is to bring more of His grace into our lives so that we can call Him the Good Shepherd. So we can actually declare that I don't want anymore because He's the Good Shepherd. So that we can declare those things. So what I want to do now is I've set that up because I just want to pray for us so that our hearts can be settled and secure as we look to the Good Shepherd. So let's pray together. Father, we, we come to You and... God, the words that we're looking at today are some of the most comforting words that we'll ever hear this side of eternity. They are your heart. They are your character. They meet us where we are. And we, we should find great comfort in this. So Lord, I pray that, that the words of this psalm, which are words about your Son, the Lord Jesus, which seep deep into our hearts this morning. And that we would walk away a little more secure in the care of the great shepherd than we were when we walked in. We'd walk out a little more hopeful than we were when we walked in because we know that he does care for us. and He does meet us. He does draw us to himself. So, Father, I pray that your presence would permeate this place by the power of your Spirit this morning. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's dig into Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is what David says. Now, the context of this psalm is interesting because we don't have a lot of details. David was a shepherd. You remember the story, I think it's in uh, 1 Samuel, when, when uh, the prophet uh, comes to uh, Jesse and he says, hey, one of your sons is going to be the next king. And Jesse does what any of us would do. He puts his best, what he thinks is his best, in front of the prophet. And he says, which one is it? And he goes and he meets all of them. And, you know, they're big and strong and noble. And they look like a king, like you would think a king would look. 
But what we see, what he says is that at the end of going through all these guys, he's like, there has to be enough. Do you have any more sons? And he's like, man, I, I was really hoping you weren't going to ask about this other son that I have. And he says, okay, David is, you know, out in the, out in the field. You, you're not going to like what you see, but go anyway. And you know how the story goes. David is the next king. He is the king that they're looking for. And so uh, David, you know, started his career in the ministry as a king out in a shepherd field with the sheep. And we don't know if David penned this psalm one day when he was sitting out under a, a large tree with his sheep and his rod and his staff and with his harp. He was an excellent harp player. We don't know if he was sitting out there one day and just thinking about the reality of where he was in life. And how he could have been discouraged about the fact that his brothers were off doing noble things while he was sitting with the sheep in a field. We don't know if that's where he pinned this at. Or maybe if it was later in life when he recounted all of the things that really mattered in his life. And he looked back and said, you know, I'm actually a lot more like the sheep than I thought I was. We don't know when he pinned it, but nonetheless, he pinned this psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The anti-psalmist in us all says this when that is not true. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right in my life. I'm, I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. When Jesus is not our shepherd, that is how we're living. We're living alone on our own. And, and one of the biggest challenges that you and I face as Westerners is really uh, that our culture and what our culture values is diametrically opposed to Psalm 23. Diametric couldn't be more opposite. We, we think that freedom is found in being on our own, isolated, calling our own shots. And Psalm 23 says, no, 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 no. That's not how it goes at all. You're not made to be independent. You never were created to live that way. In fact, you were created to live and be in commune interdependently. As sheep under the good shepherd, Jesus himself, a part of a flock, not out on your own. Think about this. When I read Psalm 23, I don't don't hear this, this thought that you know, God is frustrated with me because I'm so darn needy. You know, I think a lot of times we think that way about God. Like, man, I just have to ask for grace again. Are you kidding me? Like, like I know he's going to be upset because he has to give me more grace. I mean, I, 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 mean, I thought I was really over this sin because I prayed about it, you know, and I said that was the last time I'm ever going to do that. That's not how Jesus is at all. The Lord delights in being our shepherd more than we delight in being his sheep. He is so pleased, church, to take care of you. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, caring for us, interceding for us with the Father. His presence is with us through the Spirit right now. He loves to take care of us. And his intention is that his presence with us as the great shepherd of the sheep, is that we would delight in belonging to Jesus. Because what he knows is that we were made to live this way. And as we live in delight of our belonging to Jesus, we have a sense of great satisfaction that fills our hearts. That is what Psalm 23 is pointing 
us toward. It's not, it's not a, a call to not be covetousness, to, to not have covetousness a part of our life. It's really not focused on lack as much as it is fulfillment in Christ. He's saying that, that because the Lord is my shepherd, I begin to understand how I was made to live. And everything else in my life takes its rightful place, whether it be my money, my relationships, my pride, my humility. It all is reoriented around the fact that the shepherd is with me. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. What the Spirit is telling us through David is this, is that we have to be continuously reminded that everything that the Lord has providentially dealt you today, this year, in your life, is 100% working for your good. There's nothing that God is doing and dealing you in life right now that is not working out for 100% of your good. And we know that because of what Romans 8 says. Romans 8 says, for all those that are, that are called according to His purpose, that He's working all things together for their good. The stage is really squeaky, by the way. He's working it for your good, 100% good. Now what we do is we, 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 we get in the flock and we, we follow the shepherd and we get a little timid because we start seeing some things that are not like we planned them to go. And, and what we falsely assume is that we've got a better grip on what we need than what the shepherd needs. Now, we're going to look at this, but guys, it, it's pretty humbling to be compared with the sheep, right? It's pretty, pretty darn humbling for that to be the comparison. It, it, it ought to humble us But it ought to give us great comfort because God knows exactly how needy we are. He knows exactly how needy we are. And so, my question to you is, we we kind of close this first verse, going to the second verse is, do I belong to Jesus in that way? Do I allow myself to belong to Jesus? Do I allow myself to, to lay in the reality that I am His and He is mine and that is all that matters? Or am I trying to control it and navigate the outcomes of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because He's your shepherd. And when we are following Him that way, we are satisfied and we do not want. Verse 2 says this, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's going on with this sheep and shepherd theme here. And He does that for the first four verses. And then He goes to kind of a gracious host theme. So, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And the anti-psalmist in us all says this, it's a jungle out there. I, I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty, God. I'm all on my own. And when we read this, we get defensive because He makes me lie down. Like, like what do you mean I need to be made to lie down? Like, I'm independent. Like, Jesus, have you seen all the things I've done for myself? I worked myself through college. I married way up on the ladder. Amen, men? Look what I've done. And when we hear, he, may, he has to make me lie down in green pastures. It's humbling. Because we're not smart. We're not holy enough to know that. We need our good shepherd to lead us that way. And for David, it wasn't bad news that God had to make him lie down. It was incredibly good news. It was freeing news that God would be gracious enough to be involved in the minute details of his life. 
God has to make me lie down and rest because I wouldn't do it otherwise. The same is true for you. This guy named Philip Keller wrote a book uh, called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. It's a really interesting little book. This guy was a shepherd for eight years. And he goes back and he says, hey, let me tell you about some of the parallels that maybe are not that obvious about Psalm 23. One of the things that he says about lying down in green pastures and being beside still waters is this. He says, it's impossible for sheep to lie down unless certain um, requirements are met. He says, there are really four of them. The first one is fear. Uh, if they have any fear that, are, that is present, like if they, if they sense that anything's off that could cause them to be fearful, they'll be so anxious and wound up that they will never lie down. So as the shepherd, he's got to create this atmosphere of comfort for them to lie down. He's got to place them in a cave at night so that they're protected. He's got to lay down at the gate of the cave to protect them. He said friction. So if there's any interpersonal, inner, inner flock discrepancies going on, they really can't rest. You know, if there's, if there's anything going on between the sheep, they're a unit. I find that interesting. They operate as a unit together. They're not a bunch of individuals like we think we are a lot of times. We're a flock together. He says food, if they lack sufficient nutrition, they can't rest because they're, they're always wondering, how will we get our next meal? And so they can't rest in light of that. And the last one is this, flies. So th this is crazy. I didn't know this. But if, evidently, if a fly gets in the nose of a sheep, um, they, are, they are dumb enough where they will actually beat their head against a rock and kill themselves trying to get the fly out of their nose. Isn't that humbling? That's, that's you. That's me. Awesome, God. Thanks. Right? They'll actually do that, but the shepherd comes and he anoints them with oil. And when he anoints them with oil, it keeps the flies away. The shepherd has to be with them all the time. I mean, you never know when one of them are going to go AWOL. You know, they're just going to go crazy. So if he's not with them, there's sure to be casualties. And I would say the same is true for us. If Jesus is not with us, there are casualties. And when we wander from the flock, we suffer greatly. When we stay near to the shepherd. When we trust in his provision, when we, when we let him make us lie down, we find rest for our souls. And some of you, just speaking specifically of rest and Sabbath, some of you have been running for so hard for so long that God is making you lie down, and he might do it in a medical way because you're running so hard. He gives us the Sabbath because we need it. He makes us lie down because you weren't made to work 80 hours a week. How can you enjoy your family and Jesus when you can't even remember what day it is? He makes us lie down. Will you let him make you lie down? Will you, will you, will you feel his nudge to cause you to lie down and to rest and to trust in his provision? Will you feel that this week, church? Thirdly, he goes on to say, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, the anti psalmist in us all says, My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I, I can't fix myself. I, I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist I want to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. And, and, and while we would never be that forthright, that is how we feel and operate a lot of times. 
But Jesus knows this about us. He, he disciplines and He corrects us in love. You know, sheep have this interesting characteristic about themselves. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's this thing called, let me, let me get it right, a cast-down position for a sheep. Have you ever heard of that before, anybody? A cast-down position. It's, it's interesting. So what happens is, uh, you know, sheep aren't made to fall over. And uh, when they fall over, they actually, most of the time, can't get up. You know, they, they really can't. So, and here's, here's the sad thing. Here's what happens. Whenever a sheep falls over, they, they kind of, the way it works is they fall down, and they kind of are like this. And you look at it and you laugh, but some of you are laying on your back right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, like seriously, like we've fallen over because we're not walking in grace. The only way that they can get up is with a shepherd coming and restoring them. Now, now here's the deal. They can die in as little as three hours laying on their back because they can't get up. So if the shepherd is not with them, what happens is their stomach begins to be filled with gases. Their organs begin to fail. They, and then they eventually suffocate on their backs. This is why the shepherd has to be so close to them. So what he does is he attends to the sheep. He, 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 rest, he begins to massage their legs and restores the circulation, wakes their body up, gently turns them over and holds them as they get on all fours again. And he lets them gain their equilibrium so that they can walk again. This is something a shepherd has to do pretty often. Do you see why the shepherd has to be with the sheep all the time? There's no vacation days for the shepherd. They have to be tended to all of the time. And this is a picture of what God wants to do for us. So some of us in this room, if we're honest, we are, we are flailing around in judgment and guilt, and we are pandering after others' attention so that we can find our own identity. And Jesus is saying all along, why don't you let me identify you for yourself? Why don't you find yourself as one of my sheep? And why don't you walk under my leading? The things that have happened in your life are under my direction. I will lead, I've led you to them, I will lead you through them. This is what Jesus is saying to us. He restores our souls. Verse 4, he closes up this sheep and the shepherd metaphor by saying this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why will I fear no evil? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. And the anti-psalmist in us all says, life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by the sense of emptiness and, and futility. They seem like the shadows of death to me. I fear the big hurt and final loss. And death is waiting for me at the end of every road. But I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. And I really don't find any lasting comfort. So the theme of where we're tempted to go in this is to not trust the protection of the Good Shepherd, but to spend our lives protecting ourselves from people that have hurt us, from situations that we found painful. And the Shepherd says, I want to lead you through them. I want to lead you through them. I want to, I want to, I want to show, I have a couple of infographics here that just show you a little bit about what the, the, the sheep and the shepherd relationship 
looks like. Brandon, you want to throw those up for me? Uh, so, the, so the good shepherd, let's go on to the next one so they can read it. Um, so the good shepherd, uh, it says this, in biblical times, the shepherd's main concern was the welfare of the flock, providing the sheep with food and water, as well as guarding them from predators and thieves were their primary responsibilities. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down a life for his sheep. So what I want to talk about is the rod and the staff now that, that are in verse 4 here. So let's keep moving on here. So the shepherd's staff, it's that, it's that thing that has a hook on it. It's like, you know, when you, when you take your kids to a theme park, it's like you wish you had one of those because when they get out, you just kind of reach them, bring the kids in. So what's the staff do? I mean, the, the staff and the rod are things that, that the shepherd would always have in his hands. The, the staff provides physical support during long watches. So, the, so, it, so it's, it supports the shepherd. The straight end is used to kind of steer the sheep. So he kind of uses that to steer men to keep them uh, uh, navigating in the same direction. And the hook was used to rescue wayward sheep. He would bring them back in. Now the rod is a little different. Uh, the rod was carved to fit the shepherd's hand. It would fit right in his hand. And it served as an extension of the arm. Uh, it was a weapon of defense. So if something came in, I mean, it was like a, you know, a stick to beat somebody with, right? Uh, but it was also used to discipline wandering sheep. So there was physical discipline involved to keep the sheep in line. And also they could part the wool for examinations for insects and disease. Now lastly, where the sheep stayed at at night was, was this cave-like uh, interior. And, uh, and so basically there was an opening and the sheep were kept back in the interior of the cave. And uh, in John 10, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. I'm going to read it in a second. But literally when he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, this is something that, this is something that shepherds physically did for their sheep. What they would do is they would gather them all into there and then they would actually lay their bodies, they would sleep at the door to the cave. So that, any, that nothing could come in or come out without them knowing. So when Jesus says, I'm the door, I'm the gate, it adds a whole other picture of what that actually means. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus laid down his life on, on Calvary's cross, didn't he? He physically does this for us so that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. So John 10, this will all come together as I read John 10, these, these portraits and images that we have. John 10, 10 through 15 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Psalm 23, while we think about it in times where we're near death or we hear it at funerals, is more about life than it's ever about death. I came to have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, the predator coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. So where is Jesus in temptation and trial? Has he fleed and left you alone? No, he's right with you. He may not handle the situation like you want him to, but the promise is not in the outcome. The promise sits in the fact that he's with us. He goes on to say, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. <laughs> but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
When Jesus is your shepherd, your devices of self-protection can finally be put to rest. When I was in college, uh, a friend of mine, I was working at a summer camp, I'll never forget this, um, I was, we, we would change roommates every week um, in, in the summer, guys and guys, of course, and uh, where I was on this traveling camp, we traveled all over the country, and, um, and this one particular week I was in a, in a room with Matt, and, and kind of what we do the first night is just hear each other's stories, get to know each other more deeply, and I was telling him about some of the relationships in my family, and just, I mean, you guys know, just a pretty broken past for me, first Christian in my family, and and I was telling him about my relationship with my father and how I looked forward to talking to him on the phone. It was around Father's Day. And he just said, he said, man, I just am surprised that you would have that type of relationship with your father after all that's happened to you. And, and I really hadn't noticed the change that had happened in me. This isn't, this is, God gets this glory, not me, because I couldn't do this. I, I don't really know what happened, but I went from being the victim to being the one that loves my father unconditionally, somehow by God's grace. And that was when I began to see self-protection be put to bed in my life. When you trust the good shepherd and you see his faithfulness, you don't have to have your own rod and staff carrying it around. You can stay under the shepherd's leadership and he will guide and he will lead you. You know, self-protection is what often, often manifests itself in anxiety. You know what the word anxiety means in the Greek? It means to be pulled apart from the whole. So picture the wandering sheep that's kind of wandering out on its own, and the shepherd's anxious, and the sheep is anxious. That's what happens when we go out from under the shepherd's leadership, is we are pulled apart from the whole, and we are anxious because we're all on our own. Jesus never created you to be that way. He created you to be incredibly needy. Incredibly needy, because God only... God only helps those who can't help themselves. Because the self-righteous and the self-protective have no need of a shepherd. But you and I know that when we're in that place, we have desperate need of a shepherd. So the invitation is to surrender. He goes on to kind of continue this theme in verses 5 and 6. But he moves to expand the theme of God's provision. He goes from the shepherd and the sheep to talking about Jesus really as a gracious host to us. Listen to what he says. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So picture it. In the presence of enemies, there is a feast occurring. And you are seated at the table. And because there's a feast occurring, there's a fullness of celebration, there's a fullness of joy. And really the only thing that matters in your life in that moment is the fact that you're the one seated at the table. The predators, the, those that are outside that seek to harm you, cannot harm you because you are with the king, you are with the good shepherd that is hosting the meal, and he has invited you to partake in the meal. And because of his presence in your life, you overflow. You overflow because there's nothing that can take you out of that moment. There's nothing that can grab you and take you away from that table, which is a sign of his invitation for us to come and experience more of who he is. But the anti-psalmist in us all just thinks he's alone. He always questions, are my friends really my friends? I can't really trust anyone. No one has my, has my back. And my cup, it's never really full enough. I can only think about how much I lack. 
no matter how much I have. We can celebrate in the presence of enemies, and enemies are all around us because Satan is still tempting. Satan is still deceiving. In Christ, he's bound, but he still tempts us. He still deceives us. But the good shepherd beats him off with a stick when you stay in the flock. When you stay near to the heart of God, he protects us. And when we, when we ask this question, how can I celebrate in the midst of whatever circumstance it is, X, Y, and Z, this diagnosis or you know, uh, this lack of provision or God provided in a different way than I thought or this broken relationship, when we ask the question, how can I celebrate in the midst of that circumstance, it really reveals how little we know of who God is. I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to invite you to discover more of who He is. Because He he is so pleased and so eager to lead you. He loves His sheep. Lastly, the psalm says this in Psalm 23, 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a promise that's attached to his leadership of us. And that's that blessing and provision and joy follow us. We have a trail following us in Jesus. But the promise is only as good as our abiding in the flock, abiding in Jesus is. We can't experience it when we're wandering out on our own. Because of the strength of God's presence in and on me, I can endure uh, perceived lack and enjoy perceived abundance in the same way. As Paul talks about in in, uh, Philippians chapter 4, we get to learn the art of contentment. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not this bolt-on verse that God gives you whatever you want in life all the time. Because you don't know what you need. What it is, is a promise to teach you contentment. To give you strength to be content, whether you have lack or whether you have abundance. Because it's just as hard to trust God, and sometimes even harder, when you have more than you need. You need the same grace when you have more than you do when you have not enough. We need that same grace. I want to close with just sharing something that God showed me about His provision, something that He's shown me about His kingdom. Uh, during the past nine months, um, since Megan, uh, many of you know, Megan was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in September, and, and uh, during the last nine months, we've spent a lot of time at the hospital, uh, which is, we go to the Shepherd Center uh, it's actually named after a family. It would be cool if it was named after Psalm 23, but it's named after the Shepherd family, and uh, that, that's where her doctor is in Buckhead. And and uh, while we've been grateful for the uh, care and provision the Lord has given us during that, uh, I, I've got to be honest that I've often wondered uh, to myself and out loud, why? Why are you doing this to us? I've played the victim card before. Um, why now? Why now, God? Why, why are you doing this to us? And you know, I have no doubt that uh, that Megan has been in a in a much better place than me through all this, and I've I've told you that often uh, all along. Um, but it wasn't until about a month ago 
when uh, Megan was being treated for a relapse, we went in for an infusion, and um, God showed me a little bit more about what he was doing in his kingdom, in and through us, uh, while we were at the Shepherd Center. He was, he was showing us at the Shepherd Center how he was shepherding us, I guess I'll say. And uh, we, <clears throat> we, were, we were sitting in, we were in line at the cafeteria, and we were getting ready to have lunch because we had made it to Buckhead early somehow. I don't know how that happens, but um, we'd made it there early, and we said, hey, let's just go to the cafeteria uh, at the Shepherd Center. And we were standing in line, and there was just, I couldn't help but notice the people that were all around me. Um, the picture is, you know, probably 75% of the patients are in wheelchairs. So there's these two guys that are probably 22, 23, that have their wheelchairs parked up to each other. They've got their basketball shorts on, their Jordans, you know, kind of their short sleeve t-shirts, like what they would use to go play basketball, what they would wear. Uh, and then I look down, and on their legs, they have catheters taped to their legs. These guys are paralyzed. And, uh, <laughs> and they're, they're just... They're just sitting there, and they're enjoying one another's company. And then I look as we're, as we're in the line uh, to get food, and <clears throat> bear with me here. As we're in line to get food, there's a lady in her wheelchair, and she is uh, she's getting, she's trying to reach food on the back row of the salad bar, and she can't reach it. And so she's, you know, there was a nurse behind her. She's like, oh, let me get this for you. And she just took her plate, and she, you know, she told her, yeah, I, not that many bell peppers, you know, just a few olives. And she was just caring for her and making her plate and serving her. And then Megan and I pay for our salads, and we go sit down at the table, and I pray for us. And then we both look up at each other, and we're just weeping. We just have lost it. We are just, we're sitting there, and, and we get a picture. You know, we, we thought the Shepherd Center was like the worst thing in the world for us. This is the worst news we could have ever gotten. And, and what God shows us as we're there that day is that there's all these really broken people. They're, they're physically broken, and yet there's a community around their brokenness where they're able to enjoy one another's company even though they've got some of the worst news that you could ever have. I'll never walk again. I'll never be able to do X, Y, and Z again. Fully exposed out in the open for all to see, and you've got the people that are, you know, a little more put together that can walk and stuff that are caring for the people that are broken, but the people that are put together are so blessed by the people that are broken. And there's this picture of the kingdom of God, full of brokenness and apparent put togetherness, and it's all working itself out. And God is showing us what it looks like for Him to shepherd us. And this is, a, this is an invitation to us. Because this is the forever fellowship that we have with Jesus. It is not contingent upon how well you can stay in the flock. He is so eager to care for you. Close out reading this Scripture. Luke 15. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. And he carries it back and he rejoices. And, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And he says to them, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons. 
who need no repentance. This is an invitation to come into the fold of God and to let Him care for you because we're all seeking the kingdom whether we know it or not. And Jesus invites us in all of our proclivities and our brokenness to come and see that He is the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Father, You are the Good Shepherd of the sheep. You lay down Your life. We have no idea what we need. And You know everything that we need. Lord, I pray that you would press deeply into us this morning that you are a good shepherd and that we are really needy people. But the beautiful thing is is that you made us that way. So Father, I pray that we would surrender, that we would lay down our lives to see that neediness is not something we can ever escape. That it is the pathway to understanding what it means to be blessed to seek the good shepherd in all of life. So Jesus, we come to you and we just declare that, that we do love you and that we're learning. So thank you for being gracious to us as we've got the training wheels on of learning how to walk in grace. Lord, I pray for those in here that, that Father, maybe they're, they're the wandering one right now. Pray that they would hear the words of Luke 15 that that you would leave 99 to come and find them. That you, you keep everything that's given to you, every soul that's given to you, you keep, you hold, you holding on to us stronger than we could ever hold on to ourselves. And that you, in your mercy, would seek us out and find us when we can't find you. Because you help those who cannot help themselves. And that's why you're a good shepherd. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.